Okay, now I think we got sound. Took just a minute to get the sound going there. Appreciate Brother Kenny and Brother Harold helping with this last few weeks, trying to get it sorted out. We're going to get it here one of these days. And uh, I know a lot of our folks are <coughs> are tuning in this morning by live stream. And uh, the weather's cold. Uh, the streets are good, but our parking lot is in poor shape. So I know many folks uh, decided to probably play it safer and stay home and watch the live stream. We have a few folks here. And we thank the Lord for that opportunity to be able to preach to faces instead of just a camera. I was going to say, if it got much worse than this, I was going to have to do cardboard cutouts of everybody and put them in the seats. And uh, so I'd have somebody to preach to. But uh, good to see everybody uh, this morning. And uh, it's been a good week this week. <coughs> Excuse me. We thank the Lord for it. And um, if you will, continue to pray for... Um, the family of Brother Bob Schwaber, who went home to be with the Lord this week. And uh, the funeral arrangements are made, and I'll have to get that information to you in the next service. It's, uh, it'll be up in Arnold, uh, and I cannot remember the uh, exact time, so I'll have to get that for you between Sunday school and church here. And uh, I'll have that for you for the next hour, um, the viewing and funeral arrangements there. Uh, but do be in prayer for, uh, for the family. Also, continue to be in prayer for Brother Everett Scheffler. Uh, of course, continue to pray for Brother uh, Ron Beckett, who uh, has difficulty breathing uh, right now and still battling some of that. Brother Richard Anderson, talked to him this week. He had a birthday. Also, Linda had a birthday. His sister had a birthday, uh, I guess, Wednesday. She didn't even let us know about it. And uh, we could have sang happy birthday and had a cake for him both or something. But uh, but anyway, pray for Brother Richard. He got some new medicine or, or re-put uh, back on some other medicine that he had been on and has been really having a hard time breathing here, especially with the weather we've had. So if you would, keep him in prayer. Um, continue to pray for Miss Jean Whitener, uh, if you will, Jess and Sarah Harris. Uh, also, uh, good reports on both the preachers that I've been uh, praying, asking you to pray for, uh, at least the latest updates that I have on them. Uh, Brother Constantino Vicente is now off of um, his sedation, and uh, they've... Uh, been able to turn his oxygen way down. I don't, in fact, I, he may not even be on oxygen anymore, but uh, I'm not sure of that. But I know they were able to at least minimize that. Um, he's still not able to talk and, uh, because of the tracheotomy they had to have, but uh, he was able to communicate with his family this week, and that was a blessing and answer to prayer. Uh, it was just a couple weeks ago he was still in a medically induced coma uh, from the COVID, and so uh, continue to pray for his recovery. They're talking several months perhaps of. Uh, being in a therapy area and, and trying to recover. So keep him in prayer, if you will. The, the road to recovery is going to be lengthy, I think, for that. And uh, keep him in prayer. Also, Brother Steve Robertson, uh, who we've been praying for, uh, has been, uh, the last report I had had been uh, upgraded in his status. He's, uh, he had been stepped down into a, a lower um, level of seriousness with his COVID and uh was able to communicate. He was very, very weak, though. And so, if you will, keep him in prayer. And uh, then, uh, if you will, keep Brother Billy Johnston in prayer. This is the brother-in-law of Kim Dealman. Uh, I talked to him yesterday. And um, she, uh, we've been trying to work it out and coordinate it for me to go visit. In fact, we were going to try to get Brother Harold maybe to go and visit, too. and uh, just was not going to work out with the hospital. And then, in fact, I was almost to the hospital one day, and they called, and we're getting ready to take him in for some tests. And they had to cancel the appointment that we had. And uh, so I, I had called and, and prayed with him on the phone and got a voicemail and prayed with him on voicemail and uh, just left a just a real short, brief uh, challenge of salvation to make sure he was saved and to make sure he understood it wasn't by works. And uh, then the next day, and, and didn't get a chance to talk to him, but left on voicemail. And the next day, Miss Kim got to go and visit. She kind of snuck in. She wasn't really supposed to. And uh, she uh, talked to him about the Lord. She said, did you listen to Pastor's uh, voicemail? And they had, he had not. And so they pulled it up together, listened to it, and they began to talk about it and uh, used that as kind of a launching point. And before she left that day, uh, Billy trusted the Lord as a Savior. And uh, she called me to tell me about that, and she was so excited. I thought, you know, uh, isn't that a miracle that God uses people? to do his work. That's, that's an amazing thing. And she and I just sat there on the phone the other morning and just rejoiced for a while. 
And she said, Pastor, I'd really like you to call and follow up because I'm not sure I said everything right. <laughs> and uh, she, she was afraid maybe she did it wrong or something, I guess. And so I called him, um, I think it was yesterday morning, and got through to him. And uh, I, I went back over things and I said, Billy, are you sure that you're saved? You know that you're on your way to heaven. I know Kim had mentioned that. Uh, you'd put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ yesterday. And, boy, without even hesitation or anything, he said, Pastor, I got it all settled. He said, I'm on my way to heaven. And uh, we went through it for a while, made sure he understood it wasn't by works. And he said, Pastor, that's exactly right. That's exactly what I did. And uh, I called Miss Kim back. I said, Miss Kim, as, as faltering as you may have thought you were, uh, God, God, God did a work there. And uh, as convinced as we can be on this side of heaven, uh, I'm convinced he got saved the other day. He just... Uh, and his spirit was better. He just uh, had a had a uh, brightness in his voice and sounded good, and uh, just was convinced he was on his way to heaven. And uh, I'll tell you, I get excited hearing stuff like that, folks. I'll tell you. Uh, and then to think that God uses us to do that kind of work uh, isn't that amazing? Uh, to be able to share that gospel with somebody. So pray for him. He's got a long way to go. Uh, he's he's diabetic and. Uh, so it's going to be even harder. Some of the stuff they had to, they've had to go through, some of the testing. He's had some ups and downs. His blood pressure's been uh, erratic. Um, they finally, I think, have gotten a handle on that. They're hoping that he can come home here uh, as of yesterday, within four days, which would be, I guess, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, so pray for that. And then he's got months of therapy and a prosthetic to uh, get ordered and uh, practice with that and learn how to use that. But, uh, boy, God is sure good. God is sure good. And any time we see or hear of someone getting saved, especially someone we've been burdened about praying for, uh, boy, what a joy. What a joy. And uh, we thank the Lord for that. So a lot of things to rejoice in, a lot of things to be praying for. Continue to pray for June Bolin, um, who has been through. I talked to Ron the other day and said, Miss June, uh, she's a trooper. I mean, she doesn't ever complain or Call and tell us about it, but uh, he said this this round has really taken a lot out of her, and so uh, she wanted to come to church last week. And Ron said, "No, I don't think so." <laughs> so uh, she was she was wore out from it, and of course her immunity is, is very very low with with the chemo treatments. So keep her in prayer, uh, and then a lot of our folks that uh, are staying home by way of the live stream this morning just because of the weather. Uh, pray that God will give uh, grace and encouragement. I know what it's like to not be here and, and to be away. Uh, several people called and wanted to be here, and we're like, can we come anyway? And I said, you know, I'm not going to lock the door on you. Uh, and uh, some of them said they were going to try to make it. But uh, then a few that said, just we just don't, with the weather the way it is, we don't think we should. And uh, and I understand that. At, at the age that many of us are getting to be, <laughs> we, we certainly don't want to take a fall. And uh, so we certainly... Uh, understand that but be in prayer because uh, i know it gets discouraging sometimes staying home and not being able to be a part of that uh, service here uh, live and the fellowship that uh, we we enjoy together so uh, those are things that i know of that we need to be praying for uh, continue to pray for our country and its leadership i think that ought to be a regular matter of prayer and uh and then uh, rejoice in answered prayer uh it's been it's been wonderful to see God do a work. So, do we have any other prayer requests this morning? We have several folks here. Anybody here have a prayer request, Miss Sandy? Okay. 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 And her name was Peyton. Peyton, little, little five-year-old girl in the house fire, um, and the girl, the little girl, was killed in the house fire. So pray for that family. Okay. Right. Okay, and pray for Gail Michael. This is Miss Sandy's son. And um, uh, the little girl that passed away is uh, his wife's ex-husband's daughter. 
and so pray for them. And they were very close to her. So if you can keep her in prayer, keep the family in prayer. Okay. Anything else? Or answers to prayer? We'd love to hear answers to prayer too. Soul winning experiences, opportunities to share the gospel, anything good? Okay. All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And we'll thank Him for these things and pray for the things we have a burden on. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful and thankful. Lord, I, uh, I've been overwhelmed this week. I really have with Your goodness, the joy that there has been in, in talking with folks from our church and uh, others that have called this week either uh, just to talk about the Bible or those that were sharing. Uh, I think of Miss Kim sharing this. Uh, Lord, it's wonderful to lead someone to the Lord even if it's a stranger, but when it's your own family, Lord, how much more precious it is, it seems. We thank you for that. We thank you for that answer to prayer and uh, for helping Billy to uh, be in better spirits and to be encouraged. Lord, he's got a long road ahead of him. And pray that you would strengthen him and encourage him for the, the days ahead. And uh, then... Uh, Lord, we pray that you'll bless uh, Brother Mark Ayers and uh, Linda, his friend Linda. I pray that you'd give them uh, grace during this time as Linda goes through some physical uh, problems and some issues there. I pray that you would bless. And, uh, Lord, that uh, you would raise her up, strengthen her. May you uh, bring a sensitivity to her about the things of the Lord and give Mark opportunity to share the gospel with her. Father, we pray that you would bless the request that we've mentioned. We think of this one family in the loss of their daughter. Lord, I could not imagine the heartache and the grief. And so, Lord, we ask that there would be there would be a comfort there. Lord, I pray that there would be an opportunity for uh, someone to come across their path, to be able to share the gospel with them, to be a comfort to them. And for Gail Michael, who's been going through so much here recently, we pray that you'll give grace to him. Lord, a lot of folks that he has known or been friends with or acquainted with that have passed away recently. And so, Father, encourage his heart. We pray that you'll bless those that are not able to be with us today. Lord, many of our shut-ins. Lord, Brother Everett, uh, just uh, not able to be here. Uh, Lord, we rejoice and yet are sorrowful in the home going of Brother Bob Schwabert. Uh, we are going to miss him. But Father, we rejoice this morning knowing that he is in your arms and knowing that he is healed and his first Sunday in heaven. Lord, I can't even imagine what he must be doing. The excitement, the joy that he must be expressing and knowing. Lord, we almost are at the place of envy as we think of these things with him. and uh, We pray that you would help to comfort the family, be with those that are grieving, give strength where it's needed. We think of Brother Ron Beckett and uh, Gene Whitener, Jess and Sarah Harris, Lord, uh, many times that uh, they're just not able to get out, especially in the wintertime and uh, especially with the COVID and all the things that are going on. We pray that you would, uh, would bless there. Lord, lift their spirits, give encouragement where it's needed. Uh, many of our own folks, we think of June Bolin and uh, Linda Craig and others, uh, Miss Deneen McKinney and others that have to be so very careful. Uh, Randy Reed and, and uh, Victoria and uh, the, the Dealmans and so many folks that have to take precautions of uh, illness and the COVID. And uh, we pray that you would uh, give your grace to them and Lord encourage them. It's difficult to not be here in the services and to be around your people. Lord, a number of our folks that wanted to be here this morning, but due to safety matters and the weather, uh, certainly uh, we just felt it best to encourage folks to tune in by way of live stream this morning. And so, Father, we do pray that you would bless and uh, encourage hearts. I pray that you would help the messages to be a help. And, uh, Lord, as we preach, that our hearts will be yielded. May your Holy Spirit guide and direct that we can have him illuminate the Scriptures to us and help us to understand and to rightly divide your word to know it well and to know the truth of it. And then, Father, most importantly, that we would allow it to transform our heart, that we would take heed to it, it would become part of us. And may we grow this morning in Your grace. We pray that You would help us to have 
um, your wisdom, your insight into your word. And Father, that you would bless all that we say, all that we do here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we're going to be in uh, Exodus chapter number 19. Exodus chapter number 19. And uh, we spent last week dealing with uh, almost a pause in the narrative as God kind of redirects um, the things in Exodus from the events that are happening to the children of Israel. Uh, He almost calls a time out on the story and inserts chapter 18 in here as God just dealing mainly with Moses. And, uh, you know, it's encouraging to me. Uh, I was reading um, uh, some uh, material by Alexander McLaren this week. And he made this statement uh, regarding the fact that uh, the fact that Jesus died for all the world means also that he died for each of us in the world. And I think sometimes we get in this mindset that God deals with the multitudes, but I'm thankful that he deals with me. I'm thankful that he died for the world, but I'm thankful that he died for me. I'm thankful that God longs for His people to grow and to thrive, but I'm thankful He takes an interest in me. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. To, I was encouraged last week as we got to the end of that chapter and made the observation that God kind of brought this uh, father-in-law figure, Jethro, into his life for no other reason than to be a help to Moses. And, you know, I, I heard somebody say this one time years ago, as Christians, we kind of expect God to do the big things. I mean, He's God. He, he does miraculous things. He does huge things. But sometimes it's the little things that are overlooked. It's the little things that become so special to us. Because they show us that not only is God concerned for the world, but God is concerned for me. And so we spent a little bit of time last week looking at that and seeing some wonderful pictures in chapter 18 that parallel God's teaching to us as Christians And we're going to see more of that as we get into Exodus chapter number 19 today. Let's begin in verse number 1. The Bible says, (coughs) it didn't say that. It says, In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai, uh, Sinai, for they were departed from Rephidim, and were come to the desert of Sinai, and had pitched in the wilderness and there Israel camped before the mountain. I'm going to stop here for a minute, make a few observations, and we're going to move on just to kind of give you a setting here. Uh, the Bible tells us in the first part of this chapter that this is three months uh, after they have gone out of the land of Egypt. And I want you to understand that the amount of distance that was traveled in this period of time, and especially with taking a shortcut across the Red Sea instead of going up and around, um, I want you to understand this, that... Um, the nation of Israel could have been at this place a lot earlier. Um, and it takes three months, it seems, of God uh, doing some things to prove Himself. How many times have we seen the, the phrase over the last several chapters, that ye may know that I am the Lord, that ye may know that I am God, that, that Israel may know, that Pharaoh may know, that Egypt may know, that Moses may know, that you may know Moses. And over and over and over again, God's workings and dealings with Israel are for the purpose of of making sure that they understand and that they know that God is their defender. God is the one that is their God. God is the one that's going to supply for them. He's going to protect them. He's going to fight their battles for them. He's going to keep them healthy. He's going to keep them nourished. He's going to keep them clothed and sheltered. And it takes three months of miraculous dealings with God. You know, it's interesting to me, uh, we, we read about miracles in Scripture. Some of us have had God do things in our life that we say that was a miracle. God did something amazing for me. But, you know, I, I would like to think that if, if I, with my physical eyes, had watched some of the things and the events that took place in the book of Exodus, and I had firsthand observed them, I would think that after the very first miracle and God saying, I'm doing this so you can know that I'm God, that that would be all that needed and and that I would say, wow, that's it. Uh, I trust fully in Him that He is God. And uh, But, you know, the truth is they needed convincing over and over and over and over again. And about the time they got convinced, another circumstance or trial would come, wouldn't it? And all of a sudden they get their eyes off of Him. 
And uh, we look at that, and we can be very critical of the nation of Israel in this time period if we're not careful. But the truth is, as God's people, we are prone to this. Our old nature does not have a tendency to seek toward God. Our old nature has a tendency to put our eyes on the things of this world. It has a tendency to put its eyes on the, the circumstances of life and the, the problems of life. It's only when we get born again and we have that new nature inside of us that there now becomes part of us that really seeks after God and wants to know God and wants to believe in God and have faith in God and pursue after God. And uh, there's a constant battle there. It's, it's something that we have to face and we have to fight. And we're no different than the nation of Israel in this in that we oftentimes need to be reminded that God is God. We oftentimes need to be reminded that God can provide a way where there is no other way. We need to be reminded quite often that God's ways are not our ways, and His thoughts are not our thoughts. And I don't know about you, it'd be enough, I, I think it'd be wonderful if, if it would be enough for it to be said one time, for it to be displayed to us one time, and that's all it took, and we were convinced of it for the rest of our lives. But because of that old nature that's still in us, we need to be reminded over and over and over again. It took three months for the nation of Israel to get here. And notice as we get down to verse number uh, 2, it says, They were departed from Rephidim and were coming to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness. And there Israel camped before the mount. And for a year and for 57 more chapters of our Bible... They're at the foot of Mount Sinai. For 57 more chapters, we don't see them leaving this place. Uh, God's dealing with them, continuing to deal with them. And uh, there's, there's a lot that God is doing to the nation of Israel here. Now notice as we get to verse number 3, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the nation of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now, I want to just stop for a moment here, and if you will, take your, take your Bibles, hold your place here for just a minute, and turn back to Exodus chapter number 3. Exodus chapter number 3. And again, we're going to find something here that I think is, is something that we all know, but something we need to be reminded of. Quite often. Exodus chapter number 3, we find the story of Moses being on Mount Sinai, or at, the, at, the, uh, uh, at this area of Mount Sinai, and he's there with his sheep. He's uh, still in the wilderness. And look with me, if you will, in uh, verse number, uh, let's go down to verse number, oh, let's see here. Um, let's, we'll start in verse 1. We're going to read down through about verse number 12 or 13. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame, uh, a fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush, notice this phrase, was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God, he called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. Boy, I love that statement, don't you? I wish we could have that same spirit. When God calls, we don't even wonder what he's going to ask us. We already say, Lord, here am I. What is it that you want? I'm already willing. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And Moses said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the land of Egypt, uh, of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land, and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people and the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, 
and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, this is God, Certainly I will what? I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God. What are the next three words? Upon this mountain. And here it is. The principle we need to be reminded of is God always keeps His word, no matter how unlikely it may seem. God always keeps His word, no matter how unlikely it may seem. Now, we get back to Exodus chapter number 19. And they're here in this wilderness. They're up on this mountain. The Lord, the Bible says in verse number 3, went up to God and called unto Him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine." Moses is led here by God, and I, I'm thankful that God leads, aren't you? Uh, so oftentimes we, we take our lives in our own hands, and we go where we want to go. But all oh, that we could get to the place of being sensitive and yielded to the leading of God in our lives. And uh, Moses is no different. We find in verses 3 and 4 that God leads Moses to this mountain, and he tells Moses to come up into the mountain and to speak with him. And he, he begins by reminding Israel of all that he had done for them. The fact that he had been their defender. He had uh, mounted them up on eagles' wings. And um, I was reading a little bit about that uh, phrase in the Bible. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that uh, the, the eagles are a unique bird in that most other birds uh, will shelter their, their, uh, their little birds or chickens, whatever they are, the new little ones that come out, the fledglings, they will shelter them by putting them around and, and huddling down uh, in the nest with them. <clears throat> and then when they get ready to, to teach them how to fly, they oftentimes will take them and kind of nudge them out of the nest, and they're kind of on their own. But an eagle does something different. They put the fledglings on their backs, and the fledglings will dig their talons into the backs of their, their parent eagle and the eagle will take them up to high, high amounts and, and, and soar with them up in the high regions and then dive with them. And, and uh, it has a protection of them clinging to him. And uh, the fact that there's a protection there that is unique from any other bird. And I heard one commentator, read one commentator this week that was dealing with the idea of the fact that God uses this wording uh, of uh, being the uh, 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 as an eagle and protecting them and bearing them up on eagle's wings um, with the idea that if a hunter was trying to hunt or trying to do harm to the fledglings, that as the eagle flies, they would have to go through the eagle to get to the fledglings. I thought, well, what an interesting thought. You know, God is our defense. He's our high tower. He's our fortress. And you say, Brother Greg, does that really have any significance? I don't know. I don't know, but it's an interesting thought, isn't it? Because the truth of the matter is, and we find this other places in Scripture, we find it certainly in the book of Job. I had a lengthy discussion with a fellow this week on this topic, that Satan could not touch Job without God's permission, could not touch his body. And it's wonderful as God's people to know that God is our defender. He's our fortress. He's our high tower. And so Moses is led by God. He, he reminds God, reminds Israel of what he has done for them. And then he speaks of his desire to bless them. But he, he makes it dependent. <laughs> his blessing to them was dependent upon their obedience. And God establishes a covenant first here in chapter number 19. And here in a few more chapters, he's going to reiterate this covenant again to them. And it's going to be done in a more formal method and a more formal way of establishing covenant. But he introduces it here. And here we find the, uh, in just a few moments we're going to understand this, uh, he, we find the establishment of what we would call the law. And uh, God establishes a covenant with the nation of Israel and says, if you will uh, obey my voice, uh, he says in verse number 5, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me. Now there's a great parallel that's drawn in chapter number 19 
with the life of the Christian. A lot of parallels drawn with the New Testament. I want us to point out those today. So keep your Bibles handy. We're going to look at some other verses, okay? Let's turn first of all, and hopefully I got them written down right today. I've been having trouble with that recently. But uh, hopefully we got them right today. Uh, look with me in First Peter, chapter number 2. Uh, let's, let's go to Ephesians 1 first, then we'll go to first, uh, sec, uh, first Peter chapter 2. Go to Ephesians chapter number 1. Ephesians chapter number 1. And uh, let's look in verse number, uh, verse number 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of, his glory of, his inherit, uh, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The riches of the glory of, of his inheritance is what? It's in the saints. We become a peculiar treasure to the Lord. This is an amazing thought if we think about this. And, and God told uh, the nation of Israel, He says, if you'll keep my commandments, if you'll follow the old covenant, He says, I, I'll make you a peculiar treasure to me. Look with me, if you will, in First Peter chapter number 2. First Peter chapter number 2. And uh, let's look again in verse number 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal what? Priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him that have called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now hold your finger there and look back in Exodus 19. Let's see what else God says here. In verse 5, He says, Now therefore, if you will obey My voice indeed and keep My covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto Me above all people, for all the earth is Mine, and ye shall be unto Me a kingdom of what? Priests. And then what? Unholy nation. That sounds kind of like First Peter, doesn't it? Chapter number 2. However, there's a difference here in that there's two different covenants being spoken of. The first one is the one that God gives in the book of Exodus. And in chapter number 20, He begins to lay out the laws of that covenant. And we would call this the law. But when we get to the New Testament... A new covenant is made. In fact, the book of Hebrews talks to us about that. In fact, let's just turn over there for a moment to the book of Hebrews. Chapter number, uh, uh, let's see here. Let's go to chapter number, did I write it down? I think chapter 12. Hey, let's try there, and if not, I'll, look, I'll find the verse here. Chapter 12, I think. Hebrews chapter number 12. And I don't, that may be, there we go, Hebrews 12. Okay, yep, this is it. I like this. Okay, so in Hebrews, uh, in Galatians, it talks about the fact that there was an old covenant that had to be done away with and a new covenant had to be established. The book of Hebrews talks about that. And it says, had the, Old Testament, uh, had the Old Covenant been perfect, then it wouldn't have had a need to be done away with and a better covenant put in place. And so when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, he brings into existence what the Bible refers to as the better covenant or the new covenant. Our Bible is broken into two halves called the Old Testament, the New Testament. And those two halves are things that were pertaining and were underneath the Old Covenant. And then when Calvary happens, the things that from that point on are under the New Covenant or the New Testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we get to chapter 12 of Hebrews, and I like this. Look with me in verse number 18. For ye, who's he speaking to here when he says for ye? Is he speaking to the unsaved? He's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to people who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the words, which voice they that heard entreated that the words should not be spoken to them any more. In other words, it was so great, they almost couldn't contain it. And he said... <clears throat> this is not that mountain. Verse number 20, For they could not endure that which was commanded. No man could obey the law, could they? In fact, the Bible says that, they, that, uh, that, they, uh, that, that there was an undue burden put upon uh, the, their fathers that even their fathers could not uh, hold to. The, the law was never intended for redemption or salvation. The law was intended to be a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. To show us our sinful condition, how short we have fallen from the glory of God. And notice this, he says, For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, speaking of the mountain that was referenced in Exodus chapter 19 here in just a few moments, we're going to see that. 
It shall be stoned or thrust through with the dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto, what are the next two words here? Mount Zion. We're not on Mount Sinai anymore. We now are come to Mount Zion. There's a difference here, isn't there? And unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. I, I, I find it interesting as we get back to Exodus chapter number 19. Let's look at this mountain for a moment. Can we do that? The Bible says this, and Moses came, verse number 7, and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken we will do. Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. By the way, isn't it wonderful to see the nation of Israel all of a sudden saying, If God said it, we're going to do it. Don't get too excited yet. <laughs> and the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. The Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today, tomorrow, and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon the Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount, nor touch the, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall surely be put to death, shall be surely put to death. There shall not in hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man. It shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people and washed their clothes. He said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. Uh, and it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mountain. And the Mount Sinai was altogether on smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended to the smoke of, uh, uh, as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked, uh, whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. The Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain. The Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain. Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, Set bounds up about the mount, and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down. This sounds like a parent uh, getting on to a, a child for talking back, doesn't it? God, God calls Moses up to the top of the mountain. Now, I don't know how, how hard it was to get to the top of that mountain. Moses is not a young man. He gets to the top of the mountain. First thing God does is says, I want you to go back down there now. <laughs> and I want you to tell <clears throat> the people not to come to the mountain. And Moses tells God, he says, well, God, you already told me this. We, we already set bounds and we've already got the people know they're not supposed to come. And God says, away with you. You know what God was telling Moses? They're human. I understand they're human. And boy, isn't that just like our nature? We're going to get as close to the edge. I could imagine some of those, nation, those people in the nation of Israel, some of those young men maybe, trying to be manly men. Boy, I'm not scared. Boy, I'll walk up to that mountain. I'll touch it. Watch this. I mean, we're talking about thunderings and lightnings, the mountain shaking. We're talking about the trumpet sounding so loud. And people, people are fearful as they see the might and the power of God on Mount Sinai. You, you, can, almost, you can almost hear the young men trying to impress their girl. Well, I'm going to go up there and touch that man. God's saying, listen, Moses, you need to get down here and tell them people, stay back. I'm serious about this. There are several things we learn in this chapter that I think are fantastic. There's a contrast that's given between Mount Sinai and God even brings it up in Hebrews chapter number 12. Then he brings a contrast. He says, you're not at that mountain anymore. He says, now you're at Mount Zion. He brings a contrast between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. And I want you to notice the, the contrast here. In Mount Zion, 
uh, Mount, uh, Mount Sinai, there was terror and there was fear. These people saw up and they saw the, the greatness of God. Can I tell you this? That in Mount Zion there's love and there's forgiveness of God. We don't have terror. We don't have that kind of fear. In, the, in, the, in Mount Sinai, <clears throat> we find that the forces of nature were moved. But on Mount Zion, we find that the heavenly forces are moved on our behalf. In Mount Sinai, only Moses was allowed to go to speak with God. And he is the, uh, the intermediate. He's the one who is mediating on the behalf of the children of Israel. When we get to Mount Zion in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. God's desire was to make this nation a nation of priests. Aren't we glad that as God's people, we have the priesthood of the believer to be able to come to God and not have to go through a man. There's only one mediator we have to go through, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. There's a great contrast here. In the old, under the old covenant that's given here on Mount Sinai in chapter 19, and we'll see again next week in chapter 20, under the old covenant it was established by the blood of animals which could not redeem man. Under the new covenant it's established by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ which changeth not and is eternal. Not by the blood of calves and goats and calves, but by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There were barriers at Mount Sinai. There was exclusion. Only certain people were called up to the mountain. But I'm thankful that under Mount Sinai, whosoever will may come. God opens His arms and extends it to anyone. In Mount Sinai, we see law. In Mount Zion, we see grace. I don't know about y'all, but I, I get excited when I read about this. If we had not known the terror of the Lord, we would never fully understand the love of the Lord. If we did not understand His law, we would never understand His grace. They both had to be given. We both had to know. There are some lessons that can be learned here. The nation of Israel had to receive God's Word. When Moses came down and said, this is what God said, they had to be willing to receive it. By the way, that hasn't changed Men still need to receive God's Word. They just need to take it and trust it and say, this is what God has said. They needed to set themselves apart. The Bible says that they sanctified themselves for two days. They washed their garments. They purified themselves. They kept themselves from uh, unclean activities. And they set themselves, not only consecrated themselves, but sanctified themselves and cleansed themselves. Now I want you to notice that God demanded something here in Mount Sinai that we would do well to continue to practice in this day. And that is, he expects there to be a reverence to him. Well, this was something set apart, wasn't it? This was something special. Not just It wasn't to be treated casually. They didn't just stomp and march up this mountain like any other mountain. There's something different about it. The difference is God's presence was there. There was holy ground there. Remember back in Exodus 3, we read just a few moments ago, when God came to Moses in the burning bush. He tells Moses, he says, don't, don't come hither, take off your shoes. You're on what? You're on holy ground. Can I tell you this? When it comes to meeting among God's people and discussing the things of God and taking His book and opening it and teaching from it and learning from it, can I tell you that there's nothing special about the building or the pews or the chairs or the carpet or the air conditioner or the lights. But boy, there ought to be a reverence to what takes place here. And I'll tell you, our, our world could use a, hef, a healthy dose of having a renewed reverence for God. It's interesting to me that the nation of Israel are in awe. They stand in awe of what's taking place here. And there's a lot of people in this world that say, boy, I'm in awe of who God is. But can I tell you this? We should never mistake having an awe with being yielded. There are a lot of people who stand in awe of God that are not yielded to God. There are a lot of people who sit there and they say, boy, what a mighty God, what a great God, what an amazing God we have. And we're not yielded to Him. God expected them to serve Him. 
God expected them to have reverence toward Him. Look with me, if you will, again in Hebrews chapter number 12. And we'll be done here. I've gone just a little bit over, but that's okay. We've got, we don't have a lot of stuff to do between the services here. Look with me again in Hebrews 12. I want you to see this. <clears throat> Verse number 20, uh, 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we not shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of those things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God, notice this, acceptably with reverence and with godly fear. You say, Brother Greg, how are we to serve God? We are to serve Him acceptably. In Romans chapter number 12 it says in verse number 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is that good and what? Acceptable and perfect will of God. You know our service is not up for the approval of men. That is not our desire at all. I'll be real frank with you. I love our folks in our church, and I would do anything for them. I feel like they're family. But the truth is, if you criticize my service to God, I really don't care. Because the only one I really care about is what does God think of it. I don't mean that to, to, to be rude to our people. That's the way you ought to feel too. If pastor disapproves of my service to God, I really don't care. The only one I'm trying to serve is God. He's the only one that I need to be acceptable to. And can I encourage you in that? We live in a world full of Christians who are so worried about trying to get men's approval and men's acceptance and things. When what we need to do is just look to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be acceptable in your sight. The psalmist said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. How do we serve God? He tells us in verse 28. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and with godly fear. Look around at so-called servants of God that are I, I I saw some things this week, advertisements for a church, well, a religious service. I, I hate to even call it a church. I'll be honest with you, there was no reverence. <laughs> they treated God like he was just some hoodlum on the street corner, some gangster. Some, some cool dude with a skateboard and britches hanging down. Folks, that is not our God. We serve God. We serve Him with reverence. We serve Him with respect. We serve Him with acceptability in mind that I want to please Him who has chosen me to be a good soldier. I love the comparison that is given between chapter 19 of the book of Exodus as law is beginning to step in, as the old covenant is beginning to be established, it was necessary for the time that it was needed to be a schoolmaster, to teach people, to bring people. But, oh, I'm so thankful for the new covenant, aren't you? I'm thankful there's a Mount Zion instead of just a Mount Sinai. I'm thankful there's a place to find grace, to see God at work in our lives. And I hope that will be an encouragement to you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have a renewed sense of our service for you. Lord, may there be a, a sanctification, <coughs> a cleansing. May there be a consecration of commitment in setting ourselves not just apart from sin but to you. And then, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the reverence that is necessary.
may we have a refreshed and a renewed view of who you are. May our hearts swell within us. May there be a holy fear there. May there be something that we look at and we say, uh, Lord, you're just a great God. Who are we to be even considered to be worthy to stand in your presence? And yet, Lord, you've loved us with such a love that you've given us this wonderful gift of coming to you directly. Lord, we thankful, we're thankful for that, and I pray that you'd help us to never get uh, overly arrogant about that position. Help us to never get to the place where we lose our reverence for you. Bless the service to follow. May you speak to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.